remember the first time somebody showed you a constellation? I remember thinking, that doesn't look anything like a bear. I mean, the Big Dipper does look kind of like a ladle, but most of the constellations are real head scratchers. Of course, the important thing is not that it looks like a swan or a bear or a hunter, but that constellations help us orient ourselves in the sky to notice that it's really the same stars every night, even when we're in a different place, even when the Earth's motion causes their position in the sky to change. Imagining constellations helps us make connections across time and space. Noticing, naming, and then tying it to a story all help orient ourselves to the night sky. We do the same thing in our own lives, constantly making up stories about why things happen and what those events mean. When we tell the story of our lives, there are millions of events we could choose from, but we choose just a few, the ones that shine brightly, the ones that seem most important to us, and we tell our story that way. For example, I wrote in my biography on the church website that I grew up in a musical family, that I went to music school to be an opera singer, that I dropped out of opera school, and moved to California to go to seminary. I served the Palo Alto congregation as their minister of religious education and became a mom at the same time. And then I moved back east with my husband and son and our dog, settling in Ithaca, where I became the minister of the congregations that I serve now. That's a pretty good story and it explains where I come from and why I am where I am today. It totally leaves out a lot of the stars in the sky though. It leaves out my love of plants, my passion for the environment. It leaves out my white privilege and how race has impacted my life. All stories center some things and leave other things out. Or you know, just leave them in the background. As Amy read in our centering words, the stars we are given, the constellations we make. That is to say, stars exist in the cosmos, but constellations are the imaginary lines that we draw between them. The readings we give the sky, the stories we tell. Consider how peoples who live in different places have different names and different stories for the constellations. I was taught growing up that the Big Dipper is part of a larger constellation called Ursa Major, the Big Bear. After a Greek myth about a nymph who was turned into a bear to protect her from a god's jealousy. In the Ojibwe culture, the same stars are named after the fisher, a four-legged hunter common in the Great Lakes area, who was pinned to the sky by an arrow as he fled 
having successfully rescued the birds and the spring from spirit monsters. In Hindu astronomy, what I think of as the Big Dipper is called Saptarashi, the seven great sages. In Arabian culture, the bowl of the Big Dipper is a coffin and the handle is mourners following it. Depending on where you live, where you stand, what time of day it is, what time of year, different stars are more visible, more prominent in the sky. Where some see a bear, others look at the same stars and see sages. It's okay that we have different stories. And when you notice that you don't seem to be on the same page as somebody, you might ask their story about what you are looking at together. Stories can be helpful tools. They help us remember where we're headed. Here's a very little story that helped me a long time ago. The story went like this. I'm going to seminary because I want to understand what it all means and I want to become a UU minister. And so even though it takes five years or longer from the moment that you first realize you want to become a minister until you get your first job as a minister, you have a story to hold all of those thousands of events that go into making it up from researching seminaries, filling out financial uh, loan forms, finding a new place to live, buying books, seeing the MFC, getting an internship, you get the idea. The story gives a shape and a purpose to that time. So that's just a, a tiny little personal story, but there are big stories too, stories that hold us all together and keep us going in the right direction. Joanna Macy tells one of those big stories that I like called The Great Turning. It's the story of how we, the people, have participated in damaging and endangering life on Earth and causing this great extinction event that's happening right now. But we are gradually waking up to the harm that we're causing and slowly but insistently turning the great ship of society towards healing and justice for humans and all living beings. That's a story that takes some sad and challenging facts and forms them into a shape that provides hope and purpose. And all of us have a role in that story. It's like a giant constellation that holds our little constellations, like how the Big Dipper is part of Ursa Major. Now you could easily look at the world and tell a different story. One story I hear a lot is the apocalyptic story. It goes like this, humans have ruined the earth. We are terrible and selfish. We are headed for an inevitable apocalyptic hellscape and there's nothing that we can do about it. 
I see that story on TV and in the movies a lot. In fact, a few weeks ago, I said to my husband, don't we have any shows that aren't set in the apocalypse? We flipped over to the Great British Baking Show and that helped. You could see why we would tell that story, looking at the exact same facts that give the shape of the story of the Great Turning. The question is, what does that story do? What does it do for our mental health? How does it impact our actions? I know that when I hear that all is lost story, I feel depressed and I don't feel like doing much of anything. In fact, research shows that stories of guilt and shame are actually not great for motivating people. Some stories have the power to heal and other stories are like viruses. Finding healing stories is part of our role as a faith tradition. I've heard another story looking at pretty much the same facts that goes, don't worry about global climate change, technology will save the day. That's a hopeful story, but it leaves out a lot of important information about suffering and loss that are happening right now. It may not make us depressed, but it doesn't particularly spur us to action either, unless we're an engineer. Stories that are unconnected to reality or that are not connected on very many points are not great guides for life in the real world. The more stories are grounded in reality, in the facts of life on the earth, the better guides they are. Here's a story I've been thinking about a lot lately. What is the meaning of life, the second half of life? I have recently turned 50, my son is off at college, I've been a minister for almost 25 years. And so that's a question I've been asking myself. And here are some of the stories I'm hearing. One common story is a story of regret, the great love lost, the accolades never won. Another story I hear is about the glory days, the good times that are gone and never come again. And so things are all downhill from here and we can only lock back with nostalgia. Other folks tell a story about a fresh start. The story of midlife where you leave your family and your career and you start again, a new life for the second half. But what if you like your family and you like your job? One story I could tell goes like this. Well, I did it. I became a minister, I raised a son, I have a long record of service to my denomination. I did what I set out to do, and I have served my purpose. But that story doesn't really help me figure out what to do next. Betty 
Fridan was at a similar point when she wrote her book, The Fountain of Age. She noticed that all of the research about the second half of life was about that downward slide. And that was the story that everybody was telling. But she found through the course of her really long and exhaustive book and research that actually there are parts of the human mind that don't develop until the second half of life. And many have said that there are parts of the spirit and the soul that only develop in the second half of life. In the book, Aging to Saging, it's the author's contention that while everybody grows old, not everyone becomes an elder. That becoming an elder takes intention and consciousness. Of all of those different stories about the second half of life, the most inspiring story to me is the one where now at the age of 51, I can become an apprentice elder. This feels like a story that gives me a sense of meaning and purpose and hope. You could tell all of those stories about the second half of life looking at pretty much the same facts but each of them leads to a different place. I wanna choose a story that inspires, heals and strengthens me for the journey ahead. Now, even if you find a really good story, there's a danger of holding that story too tightly. When you see a new star, maybe because you never noticed it before, or maybe because you've got a new, more powerful telescope, your story must be flexible enough to include it. Consider Galileo, who's gazing at the stars and planets through his new telescope technology, revealed new proof for Copernicus's theory that the Earth revolves around the sun. But the religious hierarchy was telling another story, a rigid story that could not be moved. They looked at the scripture that said in Psalms, the world is firmly established, it shall never be moved. And they looked at Ecclesiastes where it says, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to its place where it rises. And they determined there was only one possible interpretation to those scriptures. And so Galileo's new story about how the universe worked could not even be entertained. This has always been one of the great strengths of our Unitarian tradition. The ability to take new discoveries and new information, new perspectives into our story. That's part of the story we tell ourselves about who we are. Such flexibility is important in our personal stories as well. Think about the teens who graduated from high school during COVID and then headed off for their freshman year of college still during this COVID time. Now think about every movie or TV show you've ever seen about the end of high school and the beginning of college. 
Can you think how those stories would make our teens sad who were entering college in this COVID time? I said to my son, who's a sophomore, as he struggles with a semester in near isolation, college is always hard, but you are also making history. You are not just going to college. You are also surviving a pandemic. There is a great crisis of meaning whenever a beloved and useful story is challenged. That's a basic truth of being human. But the gift is that we can change our stories. We can expand our stories a little or a lot as we respond to the changing world we encounter. Finally, we have to remember that people are not their stories. Even that super factual bio that I gave you at the beginning, all of those statements are true, but that story is not me. Each person is more complex, more subtle, more dynamic, more interconnected than even the most methodically researched biography. A story is just a tool that helps us remember where we have come from and where we are headed. The stories we share help us head in the same direction with the same common purpose. This week, I invite you to notice the stories all around you. Notice especially different stories about the same events. Notice the stories that we tell on the news and on social media. Notice which stories heal and which stories harm. Notice the stories we tell about our own lives. And if you notice that the story that you're telling feels limiting or uninspired, change it. It's just a story. And when you find a story that inspires you, delights you, or gives you a sense of purpose and hope, share it. Share it so that whenever we feel a little lost, we can look up at the constellations and remember where we are.